0: section 36 of elia and the last essays of elia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by adrian stevens elia and the last essays of elia by charles lamb the old margate hoy i am fond of passing my vacations i believe i have said so before at one or other of the universities next to these my choice would fix me at some woody spot such as the neighbourhood of henley affords in abundance upon the banks of my beloved thames but somehow or other my cousin contrives to wheedle me once in three or four seasons to a watering-place old attachments cling to her in spite of experience we have been dull at worthing one summer duller at brighton another dullest at eastbourne a third and are at this moment doing dreary penance at hastings and all because we were happy many years ago for a brief week at margate that was our first seaside experiment and many circumstances combined to make it the most agreeable holy day of my life we had neither of us seen the sea and we had never been from home so long together in company can i forget thee thou old margate hoy with thy weather-beaten sunburnt captain and his rough accommodations ill exchanged for the foppery and fresh-water niceness of the modern steam-packet To the winds and waves thou committest thy goodly freightage and didst ask no aid of magic fumes and spells and boiling cauldrons with the gales of heaven thou wentest swimmingly or when it was their pleasure stood still with sailor-like patience thy course was natural not forced as in a hotbed nor didst thou go poisoning the breath of the ocean with sulphurous smoke a great sea chimera chimneying and furnishing the deep or liker to that fire-god parching up scamander can i forget thy honest yet slender crew with their coy reluctant responses yet to the suppression of anything like contempt to the raw questions which we of the great city would be ever and anon putting to them as to the uses of this or that strange naval implement Specially can i forget thee thou happy medium thou shade of refuge between us and them conciliating interpreter of their skill to our simplicity comfortable ambassador between sea and land whose sailor trousers did not more convincingly assure thee to be an adopted denizen of the former than thy white cap and whiter apron over them with thy neat-fingered practice in thy culinary vocation bespoke thee to have been of inland nurture heretofore a master cook of east sheep how busily didst thou ply thy multifarious occupation cook mariner attendant chamberlain here there like another aerial, flaming at once about all parts of the deck yet with kindlier ministrations, not to assist the tempest, but as if touched with a kindred sense of our infirmities, to soothe the qualms which that untried motion might haply raise in our crude land fancies. And when the oar washing billows drove us below deck, for it was far gone in october and we had stiff and blowing weather how did thy officious ministerings still catering for our comfort with cards and cordials and thy more cordial conversation alleviate the closeness and the confinement of thy else truth to say not very savoury nor very inviting little cabin with these additaments to boot we had on board a fellow-passenger whose discourse in verity might have beguiled a longer voyage than we meditated and have made mirth and wonder abound as far as the azores he was a dark spanish-complexioned young man remarkably handsome with an officer-like assurance and an insuppressible volubility of assertion he was in fact the greatest liar i had met with then or since he was none of your hesitating half-story-tellers a most painful description of mortals who go on sounding your belief and only giving you as much as they see you can swallow at a time the nibbling pickpockets of your patience, but one who committed downright daylight depredations upon his neighbour's faith he did not stand shivering upon the brink but was a hearty thorough-paced liar and plunged at once into the depths of your credulity i partly believe he made pretty sure of his company not many rich not many wise or learned composed at that time the common stowage of a margate packet we were i am afraid a set of as unseasoned londoners let our enemies give it a worse name as aldermanbury or watling street at that time of day could have supplied there might be an exception or two among us but i scorn to make any invidious distinctions among such a jolly companionable ship's company as those were whom i sailed with something too must be conceded to the genius loci had the confident fellow told us half the legends on land which he favoured us with on the other element i flatter myself the good sense of most of us would have revolted but we were in a new world with everything unfamiliar about us and the time and place disposed us to the reception of any prodigious marvel whatsoever time has obliterated from my memory much of his wild fablings and the rest would appear but dull as written and to be read on shore he had been aide-de-camp among other rare accidents and fortunes to a persian prince and at one blow had stricken off the head of the king of carimania on horseback he of course married the prince's daughter i forget what unlucky turn in the politics of that court combining with the loss of his consort was the reason of his quitting persia but with the rapidity of a magician he transported himself among with his hearers back to england where we found him in the confidence of great ladies there was some story of a princess elizabeth if i remember having entrusted to his care an extraordinary casket of jewels upon some extraordinary occasion but as i am not certain of the name or circumstance at this distance of time i must leave it to the royal daughters of england to settle the honor among themselves in private i cannot call to mind half his pleasant wonders but i perfectly remember that in the course of his travels he had seen a phoenix and he obligingly undeceived us of the vulgar error that there is but one of that species at a time assuring us that they were not uncommon in some parts of upper egypt hitherto he had found the most implicit listeners his dreaming fancies had transported us beyond the ignorant present but when still hardying more and more in his triumphs over our simplicity he went on to affirm that he had actually sailed through the legs of the colossus at rhodes it really became necessary to make a stand and here i must do justice to the good sense and intrepidity of one of our party a youth that had hitherto been one of his most deferential auditors who from his recent reading made bold to assure the gentleman that there must be some mistake as the colossus in question had been destroyed long since to whose opinion delivered with all modesty our hero was obliging enough to concede thus much that the figure was indeed a little damaged this was the only opposition he met with and it did not at all seem to stagger him, for he proceeded with his fables, which the same youth appeared to swallow with still more complacency than ever, confirmed, as it were, by the extreme candor of that concession. With these prodigies he wheedled us on till we came in sight of the reculvers, which one of our own company, having been the voyage before, immediately recognizing and pointing out to us, was considered by us as no ordinary seaman. All this time sat upon the edge of the deck quite a different character. It was a lad, apparently very poor, very infirm, and very patient. His eye was ever on the sea with a smile, and if he caught now and then some snatches of these wild legends, it was by accident, and they seemed not to concern him. The waves to him whispered more pleasant stories he was as one being with us but not of us he heard the bell of dinner ring without stirring and when some of us pulled out our private stores our cold meat and our salads he produced none and seemed to want none only a solitary biscuit he had laid in provision for the one or two days and nights to which these vessels then were oftentimes obliged to prolong their voyage upon a nearer acquaintance with him which he seemed neither to court nor decline we learned that he was going to margate with the hope of his being admitted into the infirmary there for sea-bathing his disease was a scrofula which appeared to have eaten all over him he expressed great hopes of a cure and when we asked him whether he had any friends where he was going he replied he had no friends these pleasant and some mournful passages with the first sight of the sea cooperating with youth and a sense of holy days and out-of-door adventure to me that had been pent up in popular cities for many months before have left upon my mind the fragrance as of summer days gone by bequeathing nothing but their remembrance for cold and wintry hours to chew upon will it be thought a digression it may spare some unwelcome comparisons if i endeavour to account for the dissatisfaction which i have heard so many persons confess to have felt as i did myself feel in part on this occasion at the sight of the sea for the first time i think the reason usually given referring to the incapacity of actual objects for satisfying our preconceptions of them scarcely goes deep enough into the question let the same person see a lion, an elephant, a mountain, for the first time in his life, and he shall perhaps feel himself a little mortified. The things do not fill up that space which the idea of them seemed to take up in his mind, but they have still a correspondency to his first notion, and in time grow up to it, so as to produce a very similar impression, enlarging themselves if i may say so upon familiarity but the sea remains a disappointment is it not that in the latter we had expected to behold absurdly i grant but i am afraid by the law of imagination unavoidably not a definite object as those wild beasts or that mountain compassable by the eye but all the sea at once the commensurate antagonist of the earth I do not say we tell ourselves so much but the craving of the mind is to be satisfied with nothing less i will suppose the case of a young person of fifteen as i then was knowing nothing of the sea but from description he comes to it for the first time all that he has been reading of it all his life and that the most enthusiastic part of life all he has gathered from narratives of wandering seamen what he has gained from true voyages and what he cherishes as credulously from romance and poetry crowding their images and exacting strange tributes from expectation he thinks of the great deep and of those who go down unto it of its thousand isles and of the vast continents it washes of its receiving the mighty plata or orellana into its bosom without disturbance or sense of augmentation of biscay swells and the mariner for many a day and many a dreadful night incessant labouring round the stormy cape of fatal rocks and the still vexed bermouths of great whirlpools and the water-spout of sunken ships and sumless treasures swallowed up in the unrestoring depths of fishes and quaint monsters to which all that is terrible on earth be but as bugs to frighten babes withal compared with the creatures in the seas and troll. of naked savages and juan fernandez of pearls and shells of coral beds and of enchanted isles of mermaids grots i do not assert that in sober earnest he expects to be shown all these wonders at once but he is under the tyranny of a mighty faculty which haunts him with confused hints and shadows of all these and when the actual object opens first upon him seen in tame weather too most likely from our unromantic coasts a speck a slip of sea-water as it shows to him what can it prove but a very unsatisfying and even diminutive entertainment or if he has come to it from the mouth of a river was it much more than the river widening and even out of sight of land what had he but a flat watery horizon about him nothing comparable to the vast 'er o'ercurtaining sky his familiar object seen daily without dread or amazement who in similar circumstances has not been tempted to exclaim with Caroba, in the poem of gebir is this the mighty ocean is this all i love town or country but this detestable sankport is neither i hate these scrubbed shoots thrusting out their starved foliage from between the horrid fissures of dusty innutritious rocks which the amateur calls verdure to the edge of the sea. I require woods, and they show me stunted coppices. I cry out for the water brooks, and pant for fresh streams and inland murmurs. I cannot stand all day on the naked beach, watching the capricious hues of the sea shifting like the colours of a dying mullet. I am tired of looking out at the windows of this island prison. I would fain retire into the interior of my cage while i gaze upon the sea i want to be on it over it across it it binds me in with chains as of iron my thoughts are abroad i should not feel so in staffordshire there is no home for me here there is no sense of home at hastings it is a place of fugitive resort an heterogeneous assemblage of sea mews and stockbrokers amphitrites of the town and misses that coquet with the ocean if it were what it was in its primitive shape and what it ought to have remained a fair honest fishing town and no more it were something with a few straggling fishermen's huts scattered about artless as its cliffs and with their materials filched from them it were something i could abide to dwell with a mess-check to assort with fisher-swains and smugglers there are or i dream there are many of this latter occupation here their faces become the place i like a smuggler he is the only honest thief he robs nothing but the revenue an abstraction i never greatly cared about i could go out with them in their mackerel boats or about their less ostensible business with some satisfaction i can even tolerate those poor victims to monotony who from day to day pace along the beach in endless progress and recurrence to watch their illicit countrymen townsfolk or brethren perchance whistling to the sheathing and unsheathing of their cutlasses their only solace who under the mild name of preventative service keep up a legitimated civil warfare in their deplorable absence of a foreign one to show their detestation of run hollands and zeal for old england but it is the visitants from town that come here to say that they have been here with no more relish of the sea than a pond perch or a dace might be supposed to have that are my aversion i feel like a foolish dace in these regions and have as little toleration for myself here as for them what can they want here if they had a true relish of the ocean why have they brought all this land luggage with them or why pitch their civilized tents in the desert what mean these scanty bookrooms, marine libraries, as they entitle them, if the sea were, as they were to have us believe, a book to read strange matter in? What are their foolish concert rooms, if they come, as they would fain be thought to do, to listen to the music of the waves? All is false and hollow pretension. They come because it is the fashion, and to spoil the nature of the place. They are mostly, as I have said, stockbrokers, but I have watched the better sort of them now and then an honest citizen of the old stamp. In the simplicity of his heart shall bring down his wife and daughters to taste the sea-breezes. I always know the date of their arrival. It is easy to see it in their countenance. A day or two they go wandering on the shingles, picking up cockle-shells and thinking them great things. But, in a poor week, imagination slackens. They begin to discover that cockles produce no pearls, and then, oh, then, if I could interpret for the pretty creatures, I know they have not the courage to confess it themselves, how gladly would they exchange their seaside rambles for a Sunday walk on the green sward of their accustomed Twickenham meadows i would ask one of these sea-charmed emigrants who think they truly love the sea with its wild usages what would their feelings be if some of the unsophisticated aborigines of this place encouraged by their courteous questionings here should venture on the faith of such assured sympathy between them to return the visit and come up to see london I must imagine them with their fishing tackle on their back as we carry our town necessaries what a sensation would it cause to lothbury what vehement laughter would it not excite among the daughters of cheapside and the wives of lombard street i am sure that no town-bred or inland-born subjects can feel their true and natural nourishment at these sea-places nature where she does not mean us for mariners and vagabonds, bids us stay at home. The salt foam seems to nourish a spleen. I am not half so good-natured as by the milder waters of my natural river. I would exchange these seagulls for swans and scud a swallow forever about the banks of Temesis. End of Section 36